you'll find our place in God's Word today, Acts chapter 14. And hopefully you have read ahead, since you know where we're going to be every week, at least unless the Lord changes the plans in the study, you know that we're going to be working our way through the book of Acts. And so Acts chapter 14 is where we find our place today, and if you have found that in your copy of God's Word, let me hear you say Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's why we're here today. Amen. To worship the risen, the risen Christ. Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. We find in God's Word, David exhorts the reader and the worshiper, who is you and I, He exhorts the reader and the worshiper in Psalm chapter 40 in verse 9, a psalm of David, who wrote these words. He he said that I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. And behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. So it is the job, it is the task of every preacher, pastor, expositor who stands in the public square, who stands in the midst of the congregation to bring God's word, to tell the glad news of Jesus and the deliverance that only Christ can bring. And I must say today, Lord, I have not restrained my lips to speak much of Christ Jesus today. It is important to know when to speak up and when to speak out. It is important to know when to speak and when one needs to restrain the things that they say. It is of utmost importance that whenever we speak in the name of Jesus, that every word that we speak is seasoned with the flavor of of the gospel. Every word that we speak needs to be weighed of whether or not this is edifying or beneficial to the kingdom of Jesus. I must tell you, friends, that we have an extreme opportunity to live out our faith for Jesus, to live out our witness for Christ. We live in a time where we must shine for Christ that we must be His ambassadors, whether it is in our schools, on our job, in the grocery store, and wherever we find ourselves, we must look at every occasion to weigh our words and to shine and be an ambassador for Christ. Everything going on around us today and all the pressures of life and everything that presses in upon us, we can either do one or two things. We can either pile our dialogues with complaining and grumbling and looking at our situations and sitting in our woe is me's, or we can decide to make an impact in the kingdom of Christ. What must you do today? Will we sit and revel in our woe is me's of the life around us and the tragedies and the adversities and the things that pile upon us day by day, or will we decide as a discipline that I'm going to make an impact for the kingdom of Jesus where I am at. We live in a unique time. We live in a time where I think the question can be asked, 
Is it a time that is ripe for the gospel? Do we live in a time when the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few? We could say yes there. Are we amongst the laborers that are called out? Or is our lives so stacked with grumbling and complaining and adversity that we do very little gospel seed planting? I had this thought, and I hope that it doesn't offend today. First, let me, let me say this. Again, I want to thank our veterans, those who have served in the armed forces. It is because of God's sovereignty, number one, that we can live in a free nation. Those men who have died, men and women who have died for our country, so that we can stand and proclaim God's word. Now, number one, God is sovereign. He has given us a free nation to live in. Do never take that for granted. Somebody say amen. Never take that for granted. I've had this thought this past week, and I hope that this does not make anyone angry with me for what I'm about to say, and I say it out of concern. If you have been following Martin County News for any time over the past few weeks, you know that there has been a lot of drama over the past few weeks. There has been a lot of, of things unfold. There's been a lot of, I mean, we just, had a, we just had an election, didn't we? There's been a lot of drama over the past few months. We've had the closing of the hospital and people losing their jobs. What a tragedy that is. We've had issues with county officials that has caused a stir amongst the people as it should. And I get upset, and I'm not even a Martin County native. I'm not even from here, and I get upset seeing some of the things. But over the course of the past few weeks, I have seen people who are supposed to be followers of Jesus in the public square who do not represent Christ so well. May I say this in the country vernacular? They showed their tails. supposed to be followers of Jesus. And I had this thought. Now, I, I, I understand. There is reason to raise alarm. There is reason to be upset. I get that. And I had this thought. If, if people had as much zeal and drive about the gospel as they did for the mess in town hallway, I might actually see revival in this town. Now, I know you might say, preacher, that's comparing apples and oranges. It's two different things, but the zeal is there nonetheless. If we are to be an advocate about something, why not be an advocate for Christ? If people would stand for Jesus as much as, as they do for something that goes amiss at Town Hall, we might actually see our neighbors and our friends grow in their faith. We might actually see some of these pockets full with people and worshipers of Jesus. And so I leave you with that thought as we move into our time in the book of Acts, because that thought is actually connected with today's sermon taken from Acts 14, verses 1 through 7. Now, I have titled this sermon, 
don't take the time. And there are some things that we as believers don't take the time to do these things. Don't take the time to do what? Well, don't take the time to let the circumstances and adversities of life stifle your witness for Jesus. Don't let the circumstances and the things in life keep you quiet about who Christ is or bring you to a, a, a place of crippling depression. And so I'll ask you if you'll stand with me as we read God's Word together, God's precious Word. God's Word is the remedy. God's Word is what we need today. We need to hear from God, don't we? Verse 1 says this. This is Paul and Barnabas, now at Iconium. And they entered together into the Jewish synagogues, and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by the Jews the Gentiles with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and they fled from Lystra and Derbe, the cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Say that with me. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Father, we ask you as we move through your word today, God, that you will speak to us through it. Change us, transform us. Lord, teach us through your word. God, we are your humbled servants here today. Uh, Father, we are, none of us are perfect, Lord. And so we don't stand trying to sound self-righteous or better than anyone else or that we are, we've reached some pinnacle of all knowledge and spiritual vitality, Lord. But we give it to you. We understand that we are broken vessels and we need, we need to hear from you. We need the remedy of your precious word. So, Father, I pray that that would be our remedy today. Speak to us through your word. Comfort us by your Holy Spirit. Father, hide me behind the cross, Lord, and lift up Jesus so the church may be edified. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Paul and Barnabas have been driven out to Iconium. Uh, they have been driven out of Antioch to Iconium. And while they were at Antioch last, they preached Jesus as Messiah. They reasoned with their brothers in the synagogue. They, they went through this whole history lesson of God bringing Israel through suffering and through the wilderness and planted their feet in, in who Jesus is historically. And then moved on from the history of Jesus and the lineage uh, bringing Jesus to, to their doorstep to bringing Jesus to the cross and then to the, to the resurrection. Walk through this whole history of Christ and in, that Christ is Messiah. And they, would preach, they preached Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. And this is what Paul and Barnabas were preaching. As with any gospel presentation today, as you might know, if you've spent any time sharing your faith, uh, any time watching folks share their faith or preaching Jesus in the public square, there will, people, there will be people that will hear that message, God will prick their heart, and God will save them. God still saves people today. Amen? God is still in the saving business. And then there are those who will rebel. There will be those who will oppose it. 
As we have seen last week in verse 50 of chapter 13, there were some Jews in the city that had incited devout women of high standing and leading men in the city. And what did they do? They stirred up persecution. They got the crowds riled up against Paul and Barnabas and then drove them out of their district of Antioch and moved them and pressed them down towards or over towards Iconium. That is where they are pushed towards. Now, they could have sulked about it. They could have complained about it. They could have pulled up a chair and sat up under the juniper tree and they could have complained about it all day long. They could have said, nobody, nobody cares. The whole world is against me. They could have groveled about their predicament. But instead, the Bible tells us that they were full of the Holy Spirit and they were joyful. They were full of the Holy Spirit and they were joyful. I would imagine that they counted it a blessing to suffer for the name of Jesus and for the truth of the gospel. And they pushed their way to Iconium. This is our setting and our time today in God's Word. So I would say if we were to answer that question, don't take the time for what? Well, don't take the time, if you will, or take too long, because I know that we are broken people. I know that we are sinful people. Don't take the time, or too long, if you will, to sit and grovel and complain of our situation. If we are filled with the Holy Spirit, if we are filled with joy, if we are filled with the truth of God's Word, I don't think that we'll sit too long and grovel and complain about our situations in life, because Jesus will take precedence. I submit to you two things according to God's word that we must take the time to do. According to the life of Paul and Barnabas, we see to take time to speak boldly. I would even add a bit of a caveat here. Take time to speak and live boldly. And by the way, this isn't just Paul and Barnabas giving us this example. Jesus lived this exact way. Jesus was the boldest person you would ever meet. His ministry and his preaching was the boldest that you would ever hear. His livelihood and him living out what he preached, living a perfect life was the boldest that you would ever see. And Paul and Barnabas is doing exactly what their Lord Jesus left for them to do. And as I mentioned earlier, we can speak boldly about everything in life. And if we were to speak boldly about Christ and the, and, and the message of the gospel, if we were to speak as boldly about Jesus and about the gospel as we do everything in life, everything else, we might actually witness another great awakening. Wouldn't that be wonderful? To see revival? You know how often I pray for revival? How did Paul and Barnabas speak boldly? Let's see. In verse 1, Now at Iconium they entered into the Jewish synagogue, and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now, we can infer that the way that they spoke was the same way that they spoke in the synagogue in Antioch. They preached Jesus. Jesus came. Uh, he is the promised Messiah, priest and king, prophet, priest and king. It's Jesus. He come from the line of David. He died on the cross and rose again. This is what they would have preached, and they spoke in such a way uh, that there was a, both a number of Jews and Greeks who believed. They simply preached. Now once again, to make the point, the Lord is growing His kingdom to include Jew and Gentile alike. There is a multiplicity of people and backgrounds in the kingdom 
of Christ. We have people from every walk of life. We have, uh, we have rich, we have poor, we have smart, we have people not so smart in the kingdom of God. And even, even though overall the Jews historically are unaccepting of Jesus as Messiah, there are those who embrace Jesus as Messiah. Historically, from the time that Jesus rose again from the dead, even until now, there are people in Israel, there are people around the world, Jew and Gentile alike, who are embracing Jesus as Messiah, Lord. And so Paul and Barnabas, they have been pushed to Iconium, which is about, if you were to map this out on a map, it's about 60 miles southeast of Antioch. And it lay right there in the fertile plain of Tarsus, which Paul would have been familiar with, between Ephesus and more eastern cities of Tarsus and Antioch. So Paul would have been familiar with this fertile land. And they go to, yet again, where do they go? They go to the Jewish synagogue. So maybe a quick lesson here. If I was, if I was writing this out, this would be a footnote. This is, a, this is a, maybe not a rabbit trail, but a footnote. Okay, this is helpful for us. Paul and Barnabas, this is helpful for you and I. We're looking for things to hang our hat on, applicable points. Maybe a quick lesson for you would be never give up on the ones that you love and care for. Paul and Barnabas, he didn't, they did not give up on, on their brothers and sisters in the synagogue. Never give up on the ones that you love. Never give up on the ones that you have been praying for. You might say, I've been praying for them forever to come to know the Lord Jesus, and they have not. Never give up. Never give up on witnessing to your friends and family and praying for those who are far from Christ. I have heard people say, well, you know, I don't want to push them too far. They might rebel altogether. And I would say to you, don't give up. And in their minds, you might be pushing too hard. In their minds, you might be riding their back, so to speak. So let's put it in their vernacular. Instead of riding their back, so to speak, just share the gospel. We're worried about inviting people to church because they said under the preaching of God's word, yes, that is true. But maybe what takes primacy is inviting people to the Savior first. Getting plugged in to a church will follow. Paul and Barnabas did that. They went into the synagogue and they pleaded with their brothers and sisters and they elaborated on who Jesus is. Not only did they speak of Jesus, they did so boldly. Again, why is it that we can speak boldly on everything else except for Jesus? I mean, a good example of that, this is a side note here, a good example of that would be during, during the pandemic. I mean, you had people... You had people who were for the masks. I mean, they were writing Nazi about it. Can I say that in a sermon, Nazi? I mean, they were right. Look, so you got to have your mask on. If, if you don't, you're going to die. Or you don't need that mask. It don't work. And somewhere in the middle, I don't know, somewhere in the middle, I mean, there might be some middle ground. You had people who were advocates for the mask. Uh, put the mask on. Take the mask off. Get the shot. Don't get the shot. There's side effects. There's not side effects. It's science. It's not science. And so there was people, I mean, standing in the public square who were, who were adamant about one way or the other, and they, and they made a stand for it, and they were advocate for this, advocate for the science, or it's pseudoscience. 
So we take a stand for those things. We take a stand politically. Are you Democrat? Are you Republican? We have people who say you can't be a, uh, you can't be a Democrat and a Christian at the same time. I don't know that wild idea. <laughs> and everything else in between. But when it comes to elaborating on the person and work of Jesus, all of a sudden we pump the brakes. Why is that? Can I share why I think that is? In a nutshell, the gospel offends. But the gospel offends where we need offending. The gospel offends where we need offending. So they spoke with such authority. This is, this is code for being led by the Holy Spirit that a great number of people believe. This is a great example of how persecution actually fueled the fire of evangelism and zeal. So if you think about a bottle of water, a bottle of water that you might buy from Walmart or wherever, and you got a bottle of water and that thing's full and you got the cap off and you squeeze it, what happens? Well, now water goes everywhere, doesn't it? So think about that in light of persecution. The harder that the world persecutes, the harder that the world presses, the more that the church of the living God through Christ spread out. The more the world pushes and pressures the church, the more it grows. And we are reminded of the scope of the kingdom of God. Galatians 3, 23, that says there is no Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female. We are all in Christ Jesus. Then there is the unbelieving Verse 2, the unbelieving Jews, they stirred up the Gentile and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Now, some of these unbelieving Jewish people, who Paul and Barnabas loved, by the way, they continued in their unbelief and they rejected the doctrine by the apostles concerning Jesus as Messiah. And as a byproduct of that, they stirred up the rest of the people. They stirred up the Jew and Gentile alike. They were twisting the minds of the crowd. They were speaking blasphemies against Jesus. They were planning in their mind these treacherous thoughts about Jesus Messiah and about his followers. And the word that is used in the word called is the word poisoned. They poisoned their minds. And you might stand back from this and you might say, How dare they poison the minds against people? who should be pointed to Jesus. And we might think that we stiff-arm this, and we might think that we are immune to such talk of, of, of persuasion and poison in the mind. But how many times have we entertained vile slander and gossip? How many times have we entertained someone who spoke something and our ears tingled and we wanted to hear more and we couldn't help but to speak on it. How many times do we entertain the thoughts and gossip that will actually hurt the body of Christ? And by the way, when gossip turns into hurt, it is slander at that point. Words that will actually harm the body of Christ instead of grow it. And you might have had this thought, you might have even thought this, is, it, is this wrong for me to think like this? And if that is your thought, it probably is. 
Isn't it so easy for people to get stirred up with slanderous words and gossip? Of, of course it is. Human beings are, are people who love drama and love bad news. I mean, good news doesn't sell today, does it? Bad news is what sells. We love to hear the bad news. We love to hear the drama as long as it isn't happening to us. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like the Pharisee that said, Thank God I'm not like that sinner. Thank God I'm not like that person. We are sinful, we are broken, and we are people who want to hear how uh, people are broken around us. You know why? Because it makes us feel better about our situations. It don't make our brokenness and sin seem so bad. When in reality, instead of celebrating the hardships that people are having and celebrating their plight in life, we should be celebrating the risen Christ. A quick rule of thumb here is if we think, hear, or speak something and it isn't glorifying the kingdom, we toss that trash out. You know why? Because time is short. The Lord could return at any moment. We just shouldn't have time for that junk. We don't have time to entertain such trash or immature, immature thoughts. If you are a follower of Christ, we live like it and live it boldly. So let's look at the, the apostles' response, those poisoning the mind. Because the people were attempting to twist the thoughts of, of, of people, were blaspheming Jesus. And they were twisting their minds against Paul and Barnabas and those like Paul and Barnabas apostles. But what did Paul and Barnabas do? Did they run? Paul and Barnabas run for the hills? No, not yet. They remained for a long time. It is estimated six months they remained. Maybe give or take a few days. They remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of His grace granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Again, it is estimated that they spent some six months with the people at Iconium. They preached Jesus. They granted signs and wonders because Jesus had given them that authority as his sent out ones, his apostles, to show signs and wonders. They were the stewards of the signs and wonders. But it says in verse 4, the people of the city, they were divided. Some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. And this shouldn't be a surprise to any of us. In the world that we live in, there is an enemy who exists, an enemy who will exhaust his attacks to stifle truth. We just have to make sure that we are on the side of truth. There will always be division. There will always be opposition, even in the church. Does it make it acceptable? Just make sure that we are on the side of truth. It is interesting that this is the word used apostles to describe both Paul and Barnabas here. Maybe it would be that Paul actually saw the risen Lord with his eyes and was sent out by Jesus. Regardless, some in, the, in Iconium, they were with the Jewish synagogue leaders and others uh, were against him. Others in the city were against Paul and Barnabas. The Jews had treated the apostles as if they were blasphemers. They treated the apostles as false teachers. And they saw their miracles as sleight of hand, dishonest. While the others who had not hardened their hearts against Jesus and against the message, they felt the power of the message. There is still power in preaching God's word. 
There still is power in presenting the word of the Lord in its truth. They heard the word. They felt the power of the message. They saw the signs and the wonders from their hand authenticating that the message is, is true and being without bias, they could discern that the miracles were a work of God. And because of this, they took the side of truth and they believed. My friends, we must take the side of truth, not traditions, not cultural nuances. We are called to be authentic disciples of our Lord Jesus and not cultural Christians. Just because it is in cultural Christianity doesn't mean that it's right. Just, be, just because people do things in our community and they've done for 100, 200 years doesn't mean that they are actually pointing to the gospel. So we take the side of truth. We take the side of Jesus and repentance of our sin, not traditions of men and cultural nuances, but on the side of truth that only Jesus saves. And Paul has been a good example here of cultural engagement. And they have actually been helpful of identifying our needs as a church and our needs as a community in engaging those around us. We talk a lot about sharing our faith and standing for truth. We, we talk a lot about missions, don't we? Missional church. As our brothers Paul and Barnabas have clearly demonstrated to us there is a way to engage our culture. There is a way for us to engage people right where we live. But what is our angle as people who live in a rural farming community? What is our angle with communities that we live in where there is a church on average every 5 to 8 miles? 25 churches in a 10 to 15 mile radius. What is our angle when you have a church on every corner that vary in theological and biblical convictions, what is our angle? May I submit to you first, to know what you believe. Simple enough, isn't it? Listen, you're sitting in a Southern Baptist church. I am Southern Baptist to the core. You are in a Southern Baptist church. What do Southern Baptists believe? We are people of the book. We believe that God is given, has given us His Word. It is infallible and it is inerrant. Southern Baptists are missional people. We are all mission for the Lord. You're sitting in a Southern Baptist church. Know what Baptists believe. Secondly, live out those convictions in such a way to make a stand for truth and a stand for Jesus. Live out your convictions. Now, just what are a few of those convictions that we hold as followers of Jesus? I'm going to share a few of those with you. Now, I'm going to go very, I'm going to go quickly through these. So we'll jot them down in shorthand. But I just want to give you just a snapshot of things that we must believe. These are what we call first order doctrines. If we were to do a theological triage, what comes first? What comes first? What are things that you must believe and cannot deny, not just as a Southern Baptist, but as a follower of Jesus Christ? Number one, that there is a triune God who created everything out of nothing. He spoke everything into existence by His Word. 
There is a God who exists in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is a triune creator who created everything by his word out of nothing. Secondly, everyone is a sinner and has fallen short of God's righteousness and glory. Romans 6.23, Romans 3.23. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone who's ever taken a breath and has been birthed into this world has been born a sinner. Number three, because we are sinners, we are destined for eternal torment and separation from God's goodness forevermore. Now that is a, not a popular message today. But if you're born in sin, we are destined for God's wrath unless, unless we repent. Number four, Jesus Christ, who is God the Son in flesh, He is God, was sent to redeem humankind from sin. Simple enough, that's why we're here. Number five, Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. There was no deceit found in him. It is amazing how many people in the church, our churches today, that believe that Jesus had sin in his life. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, and if he had sin, he was not fit for the cross. Number six, Jesus' death and resurrection is the atonement for those called by God. He is the atonement. His death his vicarious death and resurrection that he rose again is the atonement. Seven, in order to be redeemed or to be saved, one must repent of their sins and commit to serve Jesus as Lord. There is no works involved. We'll get to that in a moment. Number eight, if we have issue with this, then I am, we're already behind the eight ball. The Bible is God's perfect word. It is trustworthy and it is true. And every word given to us is precise in theological precision. We can know the heart and mind of God through His word. Number nine, Jesus is the only way to be redeemed, not by works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It is not by works, at least any man should boast. Jesus is the only way. You'd be surprised at how many people I have heard who are Christian who would say that there is more than one way to reach the Father other than Jesus. I submit to you that that person is not saved. And then number 10, Jesus is returning again. He is returning. We don't know when. We don't know exactly what time frame. But he is returning again. Now you'll notice there is nothing in that list on communion. You'll notice there isn't anything there on baptism. You'll notice there is nothing in there on the, when the rapture will occur. I can believe that there is no rapture and still be in Jesus. Uh-oh. There is no political affiliation that I mentioned. You must be a Democrat, Republican, or Independent. As I spoke to you last week from God's Word, these are main things in our doctrinal and biblical theology that we must hold to without exception. What you believe is important. I had a conversation with a, a fellow. I won't mention who he was and the occasion. But I had a conversation with this, with this man and um, had lunch with him. And I asked him, I said, 
brother, what, where do you go to church? And he had been going to church for some time and, and fallen out of fellowship with his local church. And he said to me, well, I'm not going anywhere now, but when I do go, I go to this church. And I said to him, brother, now we, we, have, we were having a casual conversation. I said, brother, you might want to examine what they believe, particularly on their doctrine of baptism. Had a conversation with him on baptism. I said, they believe like this, and we believe like this. They believe you got to be dunked in the water to be saved. We believe that dunk, being dunked in the water is following the great, or when, the command of Jesus, the ordinance, and it is a symbol of what the Lord has done on the inside. And he said, I believe I line up more with what you believe. And this man has been a part of this church probably for a decade and never investigated what the church believes. What you believe is important. Secondly, take time to speak even when persecution is imminent. The city is divided because of the first order truths of Jesus as Lord. There is no other way in which men might be saved other than the name of Jesus. And the people attempted to run off the apostles. And the attempt was made in verse 5, both by the Gentiles and Jews, with the rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. They learned of it, and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconium and the surrounding cities. And the Bible says that where they went, they continued to preach the gospel. The opposition here was growing against them, and the people wanted to stone the apostles. And this stoning was not something that was sanctioned by the synagogue leaders, but was what you might call a mob justice scenario. They, the word of God about Jesus was, was offensive to them. So they picked up stones. They went to the region of Lyconia, which was east of Iconium, Lustra, or Lystra is 20 miles from Iconium, and Derbia was 60 miles. And we'll learn about these over the next few weeks uh, from verses 8 through 20 and verses 20 through 21. We'll learn of these two places. Regardless of the rejection, not by everyone, but the rejection, they continued to preach the gospel in boldness and in truth, and we must continue the gospel truth as well, no matter where we go in life. Listen, friends, the truth of Scripture matters. What you believe matters. Where you go to church matters. Where you worship matters. Who you align yourself with matters. The songs that we sing matters. Are they theologically robust or are they thin as a piece of paper? The songs we sing are important. The friends that we keep matters. Yes, Jesus ate with sinners. You know how many times I heard people say that about Jesus who didn't just want to eat with sinners but want to participate in their sin? Jesus did eat with sinners, but Jesus did not participate in that sin. And secondly, you ain't Jesus. So in closing, the apostles gave good demonstration for standing for truth even when everyone doesn't agree with you. See, our issue is that we think that we are going to offend someone if we engage them on their worldview or suggest in some way that they are wrong. We don't like to be told that we are wrong in the way that we have thought for 20, 30 years. I suggest to you the opposite. We do not love those enough around us 
if we do not lovingly inform them of truth. It isn't that we are arrogant. It isn't that we are overly confident in what we believe. See, our confidence comes from Christ, not who we are. Our confidence doesn't come from a degree hanging on the wall or how much we know. Our confidence comes in Jesus. And we should have the burden enough for them and for people around us who are lost and undone, far from God, or in some, uh, some cultic practices to share with them, to come out of that. Here's what we want. Number one, we want people to be saved. We want people to be transformed by Jesus. Secondly, we want them to walk in truth. Walk in truth. Listen to this quote. Listen to this quote carefully. This person says, How much do you have to hate someone not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate them to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them? He continues, he says, if, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that this truck was bearing down on you, and there's a certain point that I, I tackle you, this eternal life is more important than that situation. Now you might think that those, those words come from Charles Spurgeon or C.S. Lewis, John MacArthur or John Piper. You might have thought that those words come from some theologian pastor that a lot of pastors like to quote. In actuality, these words are from atheist Penn Gillette, you know, from Penn and Teller. And if an atheist can tell the importance of truth and espousing truth, if we have the words of eternal life and we are hoarding them to ourselves, do we really love the lost? Do we really have a burden for the wayward? And if an atheist can tell the importance of truth and espousing truth and what we really believe is truth, then shouldn't we? Shouldn't we? I'll leave you with those words today. Take a bold stand for Christ. Reach out to the wayward and the, and the lost. We have eternal life within us through Christ Jesus our Lord and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord has never left us and has not forsaken us. He gives us boldness to speak, even in light of persecution. And we are those followers. We are those people. When we can look out and see the harvest is ripe and the laborers are few, we are. We are those laborers. Let's pray.